150 the dearest friend I ever had. <laughs> We're glad to see you this morning. Is that better? We're glad to see you this morning. Let's all stand together. Appreciate you coming out on Sunday morning. Let's make a joyful noise. Brother Amen. Ken. Amen. As we stand, we'll do the dearest friend I ever had. Hope you're ready to sing this morning. Stretch those lungs out. Praise the Lord for a little while. The dearest friend I ever had. see you. Thank you for coming out on uh, this Sunday morning to the Lord's house. We are delighted you're here. For those who are joining us on live stream, we are delighted you're letting us into your homes as well. Several prayer requests that I want to give you just before we open up in prayer. We've had, uh, as you know, four families in the last uh, week and a half that have lost loved ones. Of course, uh, pray for Sister Norma Vi, the Kitts Millers and Bolins, uh, Sister Sherry Peck in the home going of her mom, and Brother Larry Mays in the home going of his sister. Pray for all of the 
ladies. Uh, pray for Sir uh, uh, Chelsea. Chelsea goes, when? Tuesday for another procedure at Duke Hospital. So please lift up Chelsea, if you would, in prayer. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning, but we're going to ask you to join us as we pray for the services. We sure need the touch of the Lord today. Let's pray. Lord, we are honored to be in your house this morning. We count it such a privilege to be able to assemble ourselves together on a Sunday morning and be able to worship you. Lord, I thank you, God, that church doors are open and people are here today to ready uh, to open their hearts and minds and hear from heaven. So, Lord, I ask that you'd help us put aside all distractions to focus our time, our energy, and our, and our enthusiasm on things of God. Lord, I pray you would comfort those in our congregation who have lost loved ones. That Lord, I, I, I know the, the heartache of that, and I pray that you'd bless them, especially during this holiday season. Now, Lord, uh, may you have your way in our services today. May your spirit reign supreme, and may the Son of God be glorified and magnified. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Brother Robbie, we need Renee's mic as well, buddy. I love this song, and I'm reminded this time of year, at the Thanksgiving holiday, boy, we've got much to be grateful for. Above all the gifts, I hope you will amen me on this, the greatest gift of all is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You listen now as our choir sings beautiful song called The Blood.
One more for you this morning. Uh, I hope you'll join me in agreeing that when you look back over this year, God's been good to you. Amen. Sing, Brother Ken. When I think of all the many times I've been spared pain and misery. Seen and was there protecting me. Though I've had my share of troubles, I must confess to this reality. When I look back on my yesterdays, I have to raise my hands and say, Oh Lord, you've been good to me. 
confess to all my sins forgiveness would be mine and faithful to your promise you've cleansed every stain that sin had left behind and just like it never happened you held me in your arms so tenderly assured me of your mercy, restored my soul completely. Oh, Lord, you've been good to me.
Amen. Miss your name, Miss Lisa. Keep playing that song for us. Love that song. Everybody that goes with James and Anna, that's first through fifth grade. You all come on down. They got one more thing for you today. So first through fifth, come on down. Other ones, hold tight. You guys will go in just a minute. Children's Church, come on first through fifth. Make your way down here to Brother James, my left. Come quickly now. Thank you so much, Miss Renee, Miss Lisa. Appreciate that so much. Sounds wonderful this morning. Appreciate you being here. Has he been good to you? Amen. Man, I love that song. I, uh, any day is a good day to remember how good he's been. But Thanksgiving, the Sunday before Thanksgiving is a mighty good time to be reminded how good he's been. A few announcements for you this morning. First of all, reminder, drama practice, speaking parts 1.30. Everybody else today at 2.30. Uh, let me just put this on your radar, folks. You don't want to miss this year's drama. Man, it's good. Uh, it's been a couple of years, actually three years now since we've been able to to do it has been a highlight of the year we are excited to be back doing it again uh, and it's really really good this year and I, I want you to mark your calendars for it it's the dates have been in your bulletin for a while uh, but it's 17th 18th and 19th Friday Saturday Sunday 17th and 18th are at seven o'clock uh, no Yep, the 17th and 18th. Uh, anyway, Friday and Saturday, whatever the dates are, Friday and Saturday are at 7 o'clock, Sunday at 6 o'clock. Uh, uh, but I'll, I'll correct that in the bulletin. Thank you, buddy, for next week. Uh, but it's fantastic. You need to mark your calendars to be with us. I think you'll be marvelously, marvelously blessed. A reminder that next Sunday, uh, we will have the Children of the Promise with us. You don't want to miss them. Uh, I'm so excited to introduce this group to you. You will love them. Uh, uh, it's just a the fantastic group of folks we got to meet through Kyla and her homegoing uh, mom and two sons. And man, they don't sing, they sang. Uh, and so you'll be marvelously blessed. Next Sunday, we won't have Sunday school as they will be setting up, getting everything ready for the Sunday morning services. So keep that in mind if you would. Also a reminder, this Wednesday, uh, no services. As always, the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, uh, we give you that off to make your holiday preparations. All right, fellas, come on and make your way down. You'll be obedient unto the Lord with his tithes and your offerings. Uh, uh, and thank you for your continued financial support of the SAGBC ministry. You all come get ready to sing for us, and we'll need... Are you singing, babe? No? All right. So let's pray this morning. Father, bless the offering today. Lord, again, thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. May it be exactly what you'd have it to be. Bless the gift and the giver now. In the sweet, sweet name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Take off, fellas. Many, many years ago, uh, Sister Kyla wrote this song. Uh, and I think, uh, the, again, the Sunday before Thanksgiving is a perfect time to be reminded about the goodness of God and his blessings upon us. You listen as the trio sings this morning.
a song. Wonderful job. Wonderful job. Let's stand again one more time. We'll sing another song, and then we'll have our little ones head out to uh, Children's Church this morning. Amen. As we sing this song this morning, Miss Renee, you get us started. We'll do it a cappella this morning. Y'all sound so beautiful singing this song. Brethren, we have met to worship. First and last verse. Listen to the words. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to Reach the word. All is vain unless a spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy man will be showered all around. Let us love our God supremely. Let us love each other too. Let us love and pray for sinners till our God makes all things new. Then he'll call us home to heaven at his Christ will gird himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. Amen. Fellowship, Amen. ever how you're comfortable this morning? All the little ones, come on and make your way down today. Children's Church, come on, make your way down. Thank you, brother and sister Stovall. Appreciate your help this morning. Mike again. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number seven. Gospel of Luke, chapter number seven. I want to read to you. Keep playing, babe. I want to read to you a passage that, uh, from my records, I keep copious records of everything I've preached. And in my 25 years of preaching and my 21 and a half years of being your pastor, never preached from this passage before. Preach from 
a passage that's very similar that will that you're familiar with but but not this one I want you to look please at Luke chapter 7 beginning at verse number 37 Luke 7 verse 37 Behold, let's go back to verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. Went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet or to have supper. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment stood at his feet behind him weeping began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw what he spake within himself saying this man if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him for he's a sinner for she rather for she's a sinner Jesus answering said unto him Simon I have somewhat to say unto thee that's a polite way of Jesus saying but I got a bone to pick with you he saith master say on there was a certain creditor which had two debtors The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. He said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Turned to the woman and said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house Thou gavest me no water for my feet. She hath washed my feet with tears, wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved me much, but to whom little is forgiven, same loveth little. He said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. When they sat at meat with him, and they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is he that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Come on, y'all.
Said 
there are two stories in Scripture that talk about a lady with an alabaster box of ointment. The one with which we are most familiar is Mary of Bethany. Her story is found in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. It's a story that I've preached and taught out of almost a dozen times, according to my records. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. But there's another story about another woman who does much the same thing as Mary of Bethany. And consequently, oftentimes, these two stories get intertwined and interwoven. There's a song that we use in our drama often. We're using again this year called the Alabaster Box. And even in that song, as much as I love it, it is candidly one of my favorite songs not written by a woman named Kyla Rowland. Even in that song, these two stories kind of get intertwined and interwoven. And and sometimes you'll even hear scholars who will argue that, that this woman is the same Mary of Bethany that's talked about in Mark, Matthew, Mark, and John. But I'm going to submit to you this afternoon that, in fact, this is a different woman altogether. There are some reasons that we can say that. I'll hit them quickly. The first of which is Bethany, which is, of course, Mary's home, resides in the lower province of Judah. And in fact, almost every time Jesus would come to, 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 to uh, Jerusalem, he would make that one-mile trip to the east and go visit uh, uh, Bethany, the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Three times we see Mary at the feet of Christ. Every time she's there with him, she ends up on her knees at his feet. Uh, and, and by all accounts, she's a respected woman. But this is a different story. This actually takes place in Capernaum which is the northern province of Galilee. Capernaum was the earthly headquarters of Christ. He was rejected in Nazareth. And so more often than not, when he would travel back home to the northern province, he didn't stay in Nazareth. He stayed in Capernaum. The the previous story of Mary that we know so much about that, that happened just hours before his death and was surrounded by the disciples. And one of the disciples, in fact, Judas, makes a castigating remark and says, what a waste. This, this could be better spent on the, on the poor. And Jesus says, you'll have the poor with me always. The setting we're about to see here is altogether different. Not only is there a geographic difference, but this story doesn't take place in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It takes place in the home of an unnamed Pharisee. The unnamed Pharisee is, is, is invited Jesus into his house to sup, to have a meal. And Jesus goes in, and while he's there, an unnamed woman comes in and really begins to upset the apple cart. We don't know if the disciples were there. There's nothing mentioned in Scripture. We do know that the Pharisee who invited Christ into the home has some thoughts that Jesus addresses. Let me say that. He doesn't dare say them out loud, but Jesus knows his thoughts anyway. You see, it's this latter story that I want to focus on this morning. The story of Mary and the alabaster box ointment of spikenard is beautiful. But she's a respectable woman. 
She's, she's uh, 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 spent so much time at his feet, and she understands what he's about. And, and in fact, she's anointing him in preparation for death. That's a beautiful story. But I want to focus on this story, where you don't have a respectable woman. I'm going to show you in a few moments the kind of woman she was. I'm going to show you in a few moments why when this Pharisee begins to question why Christ would allow this kind of woman to do what she's doing, Christ responds with a parable. And I'm going to paraphrase the parable. He says, I got, I got a story I want to tell you. A debtor owes money of two people. One owes a little, one owes a lot. The debtor just wipes the slate clean and says, I forgive you both. Who do you think owes more, the one who owed a little or the one who owed a lot? The Pharisee says, well, I would imagine the one who owed a lot owes more gratitude, owes more thanks. And Jesus uh, knowingly turns to this Pharisee. You see that woman? I know where she was when I found her. I know who she'd been with when I found her. I know this woman that you don't know. I know who she was. I know what she's been through. I know the life that she led. I know the kind of person that she was, and I forgave her anyway. So, doubting Pharisee, you tell me uh, who owes more of a gratitude, you who haven't done anything for me, uh, or this woman who hasn't stopped thanking me since the moment she walked into the room. I'm going to give you a message this morning I'm entitling Extravagant gratitude. Extravagant gratitude. Three things that I'll invite you to look at with me. Number one, note the demonstration. The demonstration. What begins to unfold in verse number three, though we read about it and celebrate it and songs are written about it, is a scene that absolutely no one could imagine. Look at verse 3. Note the setting. Notice what Scripture says, if you would please. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go back to our Scripture text, verse 37. Pardon me, verse 37. Behold a woman in the city. Now, what, what, what city... Are we, are we talking about? Well, for the sake of time, we won't go back and read it all, but you, could, you can go back and read the previous verses in verse number, or chapter 7, and you'll find that we're in the city of Capernaum. But let's read the rest of verse number 37. Certain woman, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat in meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. If you go back one verse above, it tells us one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet, sat down to eat, sat down to have dinner. The setting is very clear. It's, as we've mentioned, Capernaum, his earthly headquarters. Again, while Jesus lived in Nazareth, Nazareth rejected him. And so he would spend most of his time there in Capernaum when he was in the northern, northern province. While he's there, he's out teaching. and A Pharisee, unnamed, we don't know who he is. 
comes up to him and says, hey, Christ, I'd, I'd, I'd like for you to come to a meal with me. I got some questions. I got some things I want to talk to you about. And so Jesus, as he often did when he was invited into the home of a sinner, of a lost person, he says, sure, what time do I need to be there? Do I need to bring anything? And Pharisee says, no, I got it. You come on. Let's have a good meal together. And so they walk into the Pharisee's house, and Jesus does the unimaginable, which is to sit down with the Pharisee. Now, there would always be those who would criticize Christ for eating with sinners. Some would criticize him for eating with Pharisees, and they would always point to various principles of Scripture uh, in the Old Testament uh, that, that talked about uh, not uh, intertwining with sinners. But would you hear me this morning? While separation is a biblical doctrine, and I am 100% in favor and support separation, uh, may I also remind you that Christ was never too good to go and dine with those who needed him most. Say that again. Christ was never too good or above somebody that he couldn't sit down with a lost person. Why? Because the lost person needed to hear the message that he was about to say. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in separation. I believe in biblical standards. I get all of it. I support it 100%. But God, help us to never get to the point where we think we are too good, better, or above somebody that we can't sit down with them and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been saved now since I was seven years old. You can do the math. I'm 52. Uh, you understand this morning uh, that in those many years that I've been saved, uh, I've learned a thing or two. And one of the things I've learned is that we never win anybody uh, by acting like we're better than they are. Uh, we never win anybody uh, by thinking we're somehow better or superior than they are. Uh, one of the things I've learned is I'm not better than the lost man on the street. I'm not better than the drunk. I'm not better than the drug addict. Uh, I've just met someone who's better than the drug addict. Uh, I've met somebody who's better than the prostitute. And for whatever reason, the somebody that I met took me in and allowed me to be part of his family. I'm not better than anybody. I just know somebody. Not only the setting, but I also want you to note with me the sacrifice. Scripture makes very clear that this is an unknown woman. If you read the next verse, verse number 37 we've read, and well, let's go ahead and read again. A woman in the city which was a sinner. If you're writing your Bibles, underline that. I will allude to this later, but I want to remind you that it's in the past tense, was a sinner. It doesn't say is a sinner. It said was a sinner. She walked in, verse 37, was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him, weeping. Began to wash his feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now it is because of this verse that so many will misconstrue and, and, and intertwine this with the story of Mary of Bethany. And by all accounts, there are some similarities. There is certainly the similarity of the alabaster box, but understand that alabaster box is not uncommon. It's very expensive. I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but it is one of those things that would be pretty common in, in many Jewish households. It's expensive. It's akin to like mother of pearl today. Uh, it's one of those things that a lot of Jewish ladies would have. And so it's not unusual that someone would have an alabaster box of ointment. Because of this and because of the way she approached and what she did, folks begin to intertwine this story with Mary of Bethany. But this is a very different story. We don't know this woman. We don't know her name. 
We don't know where she comes from. We don't even, in fact, know if she was a Jew. We're making some assumptions here. All we know is that she was, past tense, a sinner. I, I, I love the fact that nowhere does it say she knocks on the door and says, can I come in? In my mind, she knows if she'd asked, they'd have said no. Nowhere does she say, can I go to where Jesus is? She makes her way into the room, perhaps pretending even to be one of the servants, and maybe they're stopping her. They're saying, you can't go forward. And she very nonchalantly, very politely comes and stands behind Jesus. And when she comes into his presence, she immediately begins to weep. She takes that alabaster box and breaks it open. That alabaster box filled with ointment. We don't know what kind of ointment it was. We know that with Mary of Bethany, it was spikenard, which was a very expensive ointment, but here it doesn't tell us what kind it is. Uh, so we, we can't make any suppositions, but we do know that she breaks the box. She breaks the contents and she takes the oil and begins to anoint his feet, begins to wash his feet with tears, dry them with her hair. Uh, she takes the remainder of the ointment, pours it over his head. Uh, it was by all accounts an extravagant demonstration. It was by all accounts an unusual scene that is happening first. Women are not allowed at the dinner table. I know that doesn't sit with our modern sensibilities, but with Pharisees, uh, they weren't allowed. The only thing a woman could do at that point was to serve. Candidly, uh, 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 it's a very unusual situation when she walks in, uh, when she makes her way even into the presence of the where the men are. Uh, and so now uh, they're saying, why is she here? What's going on? And then others question. We know that the, the Pharisee himself begins to wonder, why is he even allowing this to happen? If he were a preacher if he were a prophet none of this would have happened she enters the room breaks the flask and in very real terms pours out her love onto her love demonstrates beyond any questions how much she loves Jesus Christ you see folks not only do I want you to see the setting and the sacrifice but I want you to see the statement that she's making. The circumstances, her actions, the way everything unfolds make it very clear that, that though she never, I love the, song, the line in the song that says, though she spoke no words, everything she said was heard. She's making statements uh, that are very clear and she never has to utter a word. What is she saying? She's saying, number one, she's making a statement about how much he means to her. You see, again, we don't know what kind of ointment this was. We know that spikenard is incredibly expensive. But Jewish ladies would typically, Jewish homes, I should say, Jewish homes would typically have an alabaster box of ointment that was used for one purpose, burial. People would save their entire lives to have enough ointment to bury their, law, their, their dead. I don't want to be gross, but there was no such thing as body preservation in Jewish society. That's a modern invention. And again, forgive me for being too graphic here, but, but today we're able to, to preserve a body so that family members can travel in and there can be a visitation and a funeral and, and thank God for all of that. But in Christ's day, in Jewish society, there was none of that. And again, pardon me for being blunt, but you understand that after a body dies, the deterioration process gives off an odor. 
And so in order to mask that, uh, while family is traveling in and it would take days and days and sometimes weeks for a family to get to to the home for for a service, for a burial, so that body would be anointed with oil to mask the odor, uh, to give off a very fragrant odor, if you will, uh, that would be palpable to the human nose. So this woman comes in and well, we don't exactly know what kind of ointment it was. I think it's safe to say we can make a supposition that because it was in the alabaster box, which in and of itself is expensive, it was expensive. It was perhaps something she'd saved her entire life for. It was perhaps something she had saved for her family, those that she loved dearly, that, that would become part of the burial process. But when she, when she walked into the room and she opened that flask and poured out the contents, what she's literally saying is, he means more to me than anything else on this earth. When she walks into the room and, 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 and she breaks open that flask and she begins to pour out and begins to wash his feet, not with water, but with her own tears and dry them with her hair, what she's saying is that you, Lord, mean more to me than anything else in this world. You know, I've been at this 21 years as your pastor, and one of the things that I've learned is you can't love him too much. I challenge you this morning to understand and think about everything he's done for you. Think about where you were when he found you. Think about how good he's been to you. Think about how much he's blessed you. Think about how much he's taken care of you. I'm not suggesting you don't have challenges, problems, circumstances, trials. You got them. I got them. We all got them. But the bottom line is he's been mighty good to us. He's blessed us far more than what we deserve. If he never blessed us again, he doesn't know it's a thing, but he just keeps doing it over and over and over. And I don't care if the world knows it. I want everybody to know he means more to me than anything in this world. He's, I, I, I could stand up here all day and thank God for my blessings, all of which we could be gone tomorrow, but there's one thing that will never be gone. He loves me. Not only did she make a statement about his value to her, she's making a statement about her own view of herself. Hear me this morning. She's making a statement about her own view of herself. By her very actions... She's demonstrating that she doesn't give a flying flip what anybody else thinks about her. I say this respectfully, but in fact, what she's saying is, I don't care how much, I don't care how little, I don't care what anyone else thinks about me, I'm going to love him with everything I've got. You see, two things she's doing prove this truth. Listen now, this is the best part of the message as far as I'm concerned. Only servants, slaves, wash feet. It would not be unusual, in fact, it would be rather customary for someone of any wealth or any prestige. When you walked in, uh, you understand that's dirt roads, uh, and so everyone wore sandals. Uh, and so when you walked into a wealthy home, uh, it would be very commonplace for a servant to wash your feet, take the sandals off, wash them, dry them with a towel. It's this beautiful symbol that Jesus does at foot washing prior to the, to the, the, uh, the, the Last Supper. It's a beautiful image, beautiful symbol uh, of what a servant is willing to do. Uh, but when Jesus walked into this Pharisee's house, there was no foot washing, there was no servant, there was no cleaning up until she showed up and as she gets down on her knees and everybody goes and as she reaches out to touch him and everyone goes it's almost as she says I don't care what you think 
I know him. And he knows me. But not only did she take upon herself the role of a servant. Here's where the rubber meets the road. She does something no respectable Jewish woman would do. In Jewish society and indeed much of the Middle East today, still, women keep their heads covered. If you're a lady and you're a fundamental Jew and you're going to the temple, you don't show your hair. Many parts of the Middle East that take the, the Sharia law to the extreme, a lady's only allowed to show her eyes. Jewish society was pretty clear. And the reason for that is the Bible describes a hair of a woman's head as her crown of glory that was reserved for her husband. And so when, when she takes her headpiece off, she gets down on her knees, begins to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Listen, only a prostitute shows her hair in public. There are a lot of people, a lot of scholars, and I, I'm one of them. I'm not, a, not the scholar, but I'm one of them who believes this, believe that perhaps this woman had been a prostitute. Because she's referred to as was a sinner. And the actions that she's taking by taking her head off and her head scarf off rather and, and, and drying his feet with her hair is the actions that only a prostitute would do. So in this moment, she says, I know what you think of me. I know who you think I am. I don't care what you think. I'm going to worship him because he's been too good to me. Making a statement about his value to her, a statement about her view of herself She's making a statement about his importance to her. One of the things we know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, is there were some wayward glances. Likely some snarky comments. People trying to stop him from allowing this from happening. People who were saying that, as, as the Pharisee thought in his own mind, if he's really a preacher, uh, he would have stopped this because uh, he knows what kind of woman she is. But imagine for just a second, reading between the lines, maybe she had been a prostitute. We do know she'd been a sinner. And, and, and candidly, the, the, when, when Christ talks about sinners, these are people who'd been pretty wicked. The, the, the woman caught in adultery, referred to as a sinner. Uh, perhaps this woman had been a prostitute, but whatever the situation was, we know that she had had a wicked past. We know she'd had a vile past, and, and, and perhaps she'd had that, that prostitute's past, but she, in this moment, uh, has already come as a forgiven woman because of the faith she's displaying. When's the last time we... Really praise God for where we were when he found us. Number one this morning, the demonstration. Number two, the discouragement. The discouragement. I'm going to go quick this morning on these last couple of thoughts. As was the case when Mary of Bethany would later do the same, when this unnamed woman comes in, it's not all wonderful. We're amen and we're shouting and we're celebrating and we're praising the Lord. That ain't what happened in that house that day. 
In fact, people are getting tore up. They're getting uh, beyond disturbed. And, and, and we should not be surprised because when we really start worshiping, we shouldn't be surprised when everybody doesn't get it. So in this moment, this, uh, this unnamed Pharisee thinks in his mind, if he was really, in fact, let's just go ahead and read it. Uh, if, you, if you'll go to verse number 39, when the Pharisee, which had bitten him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is. That's another verse where, another clause where we, we think that that means she was a prostitute. What manner of woman she is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Let me just say something to you folks. Extravagant gratitude and extravagant worship usually comes with a price. People don't always get it. They don't always understand it. Hear me this morning. They, ain't, they don't have to. Our worship isn't for them. It's for him. Number three this morning. Number three, the defense. When Jesus knows what this Pharisee is thinking, he comes to the defense of this woman. Candidly, he does the same thing with Mary of Bethany and Judah. And, in, and Judas, when Judas chastises, he comes to the defense of this woman and he gives the, 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 the story, if you will, the parable of the creditor and two debtors, one who owes a little, one who owes a lot. And the analogy that he's using is very clear. He says, the one that owes a lot is the one who's worshiping. The one who owes a lot is the one who's here uh, uh, worshiping uh, and, 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 and anointing my feet and, and pouring out that ointment upon my head. She's the one who understands who she is and who I am. I want you to close your Bibles. I want to end this part of the, the morning with a, with a very simple but for me potent illustration. Many years ago, before I was pastoring, Renee and I were attending church, a, our ch a, a church. Oh, Candy, it was my father-in-law's church. We were there for five, six years when we moved home. Man, the church was doing great. You know, the church has always been a shouting church. And all my life that I grew up in that church, it was always a shouting church. But to be honest with you, it was mainly the men. You know, it was men who would praise the Lord and amen and, you know, shout a little bit, wave a little hand. But uh, uh, there was at this church, our church there, a woman who started visiting. And this woman was a shouter. And I don't mean just a shouter. I mean, she's a squealer. You know, she, she, she just got excited. And, and where others would say, hey, man, she's wow, waving her hands. And you know what I'm talking about, Philip. There were some folks in the church who got very upset. Very, now, please don't, mis don't misunderstand me. I've told you this a thousand times. The man who ordained me said to me that the mark of a spirit-filled church is not the amount of shouting that goes on, but it's the amount of freedom folks feel to worship God as they see fit. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that with all of my heart. But there were some folks who got just really upset. Don't, don't get offended, especially some ladies. Because then this woman got up in the choir. And we get to singing and she'd get to shouting. To the point where she was louder than the choir. And then some ladies really got tore up. So Renee and I befriended her and 
We took her out to dinner one night. What I'm sharing with you, she's given me permission to share. I looked at her and I said, you know, you're a shouter. And she said, I sure am. And I said, you know, everybody doesn't like that. She said, I know. But everybody hasn't been where I've been. And I said, well, I could tell your name. I won't. But I said, uh, can you, do you mind? What's your story? They're of a dinner with tears streaming down her face. She told us her story. She told us how she'd been in an incredibly abusive marriage. And her husband had beat her over and over. To the point where she thought he was going to kill her. And so she, in my opinion, wisely went and got a gun. And one night he came home drunk again. And he laid into her with a pipe. And she wisely took out a gun on the nightstand and said, if you don't stop, I'm shooting. And he came at her. And she pulled the trigger anticipating that she was going to do an arm, a leg, just to stop him. But it was right through the chest. And she killed him. She's tried. This is long before domestic violence laws. She's tried, convicted of murder, first degree because it was, quote, premeditated, and sent to federal penitentiary. Woman who is truly just trying to defend her own life is in the pen. Governor Doug Wilder becomes the governor of Virginia and passes legislation for domestic violence. Which means someone who is in that kind of situation can defend themselves. Well, she's in a difficult situation. Had that been in place when she was on the, in court, she might have had a case, but not now. Doug Wilder, bless his heart decided to review cases, the attorney general for Doug Wilder, decided to review cases in which women were incarcerated for having done what this law just allowed them to do. And she, with tears streaming down her face, she looked at us and she said, there came a day when the warden came down to my jail and said, the governor has pardoned you. She didn't even know about it. She didn't know that it happened. She didn't know that the laws had passed. She didn't know anything had changed. And she said, wait a minute. We didn't go to try. We didn't go back. My attorney doesn't. He said, no. The governor has pardoned you. And she said, what does that mean? And she looked at us and said, the jailer looked at me and said, it's as if the crime was never committed. She said, I don't understand what you're saying. The jailer says, your record is is clear, opens the jail and says, you're free. Go live your life. And sitting there at the restaurant, she's about to lose it. I mean, she's about to have a shouting spell, and I really would have been embarrassed then. I mean, it's one thing to do it up in church, but, you know, you can't do it up at the El Paral. Somebody say amen to that. And she looked at us, and she said, 
Brother Greg, when people start talking about being redeemed, when the singer starts talking about being set free, when the preacher stands up and talks about having a clean record, she said, I, I just can't help but remember where I was when he forgave me. I can't help but remember what I've been forgiven from. She got this big old crocodile tears in her eyes and this big old smile on her face. She said, so I don't mean to be unkind, but anybody who doesn't understand why I shout, they just haven't walked the shoes I've walked in. And she said, I'm just going to keep on shouting as long as I've got breath because I don't want to forget where I was, where I am, and where I'm going. I want you to stand to your feet. Trio, I want you all to come sing the same song again. I can still go free. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's looking. If you're here this morning and you say, I know I have much to praise him for. He's been good to me. Would you put that hand up this morning all over the building? Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming in quietly. If you raised your hand and you want to slip up to this altar just to thank him this morning, I know it's tight, but we got plenty of room for you. Would you come on this morning? Would you make your way? Is there anybody here? Is there anybody here this morning that would say, Pastor, I couldn't raise my hand because I'm not sure that heaven would be my home. Pray for me. On the tree, I want y'all to sing that second verse this morning.
morning. Would you be seated with me for 10 more minutes? I know what time it is. What a service. Amen. Thank you all. Deacons, would you all that are here, would you come, Brother Ken, join us as well? And James, I'm going to let you help us too, son, if you would, please. We've got a couple of deacons who are working or traveling today. <clears throat> yep. Thank you. That's perfect, Brother Ken. That's good. So on the Sunday before communion for the last few years, uh, Sunday before Thanksgiving for the last few years, we have utilized that service for communion. Scripture never tells us how often to do this. It just says as oft as you do it, you do it in remembrance of him. So I want to read you a passage from 1 Corinthians. It's not typically utilized for communion, but you need to hear this this morning. If you want to follow me, you certainly can, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The Bible says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. We are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifice partakers of the altar. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord, cup of the devils. You cannot be partakers. And in chapter 11, verse number 26, it says, For as often as you drink this bread, or eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, listen, this is the critical part. Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that drinketh and eateth unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. This is a, I never, I, when I was growing up doing communion as a kid, and I get it, kids are like this. Communion would, to me was a chance to run up afterwards and drink all the grape juice. That's what, that's what kids understand. But as an adult reading this passage, I'm reminded that communion is a holy sacrament. And scripture makes very plain that there's a danger to partake if we have unconfessed sin in our lives. So I'm going to pray for just a moment and I want to challenge all of us. Uh, if, if, if you're going to partake of this holy ordinance with us, to, to search our hearts and see if there's anything that needs to be confessed to God. Father, we love you this morning. And we thank you for this opportunity to go into this beautiful, beautiful service. Lord, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, what a beautiful time to be reminded of your sacrifice for us. Lord, if there any unconfessed sin in our hearts or lives, may we confess it now so that we'll take of this cup using what Paul says as his words as worthy. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen. In just a moment, our leadership here, they're going to walk around and they're going to, to pass out a single cup. This is a self-contained entity, a little different from last year. You'll see in a moment. 
We ask you just to take it, pass it on. If you do not have to be a member of SAGBC, Scripture is very clean. You just have to be a member of the body of Christ. We invite anyone who's born again to take part in this with us this afternoon. Fellas, if you would, take off, please. Your blessings on me.
Luke 22, verse 7 says, The day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed, he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. They said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? He said unto them, Behold, when you entered into the city, shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into the house where he entereth in. Ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber? that I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. He shall show you a large upper room furnished there, make ready. They went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. When the hour was come, he sat down, the twelve apostles with him, said unto them, with desire, I have desire to eat with Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. Fellows, you may join your families. Thank you. A little different this year. You'll note on the bottom, you've got the bread, so you can peel away that part when we get there. And then on the top, you've got the cup. You can peel away that part. So we'll start with the bottom. If you'd like to peel that away, please, and go ahead and have that ready. Obviously, we're doing this for sanitary purposes. You understand in Christ's day... In fact, what was done was a loaf that was passed around and, an, and, the, and a, one goblet would be passed and everyone would drink of that goblet. We're, of course, not doing that today, but I would encourage you to think this thought with me. As that goblet is passed and everyone looks down, they see the face of the one for whom Christ died. From one cup to the next, large goblet of grape juice, and they look down and they see that face. Let's read together. I'll read it to you. Luke chapter 22, verse 19, he took bread, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. This do in remembrance of me. And now you can peel the top part back. Mark 14, verse 23, says he took the cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them. They all drink of it. He said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. The Bible says in Mark 14, verse 26, they sung a hymn. We have no idea what hymn they sung. But our custom around here is, what a day that will be. So I want you to stand to your feet with us today. I think, fellas, if you can find it, we can put it on the screen, but I bet most of us know it. I want you to sing it like you mean it. There's coming a day, page 63 in your hymn book if you need it. Start in the key of G, baby. Sing with us now. There's coming. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. I shall see 
And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day. Go to A flat, babe, if you would. There'll be no sorrows there. There'll be no sorrow there, amen, and no more burdens to bear. There's no more sickness, no more pain, and no more power. Oh, sing this now, the best part, and forever. Sing that chorus, uh, Renee. Let's sing it a cappella. And what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Amen. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And when glorious day. Father, we love you today. It's been a good day to be in your house. Lord, on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, we pause a moment and say thank you for sending your only begotten son that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, bless us today as our drama team practices. Bless us this week as we pause with our family and friends to celebrate Thanksgiving. May we be reminded that the great sin debt that we owed was paid for on Calvary. Bring us back next Sunday morning when we'll worship a risen Savior one more time. We love you today, Lord. That's not a surprise, but what's so amazing is that you love us. Bless us now in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for your time and attention this morning. May God bless you.